You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Oh my goodness. Yes, bracket rage is a real thing. Uh, especially when you got teams like Fairleigh Dickinson. Who even knows what that can, Quick trivia question, who knows where they're even from? Okay, come on. Jalen, back in the house, my man. Been serving the country across the world, back in the house. Jalen, my man. Fairleigh uh, Dickinson, what are, I mean, we were, we were at a uh, party the Friday night with Miss Dean's birthday party, and all of a sudden I get an upset alert on my phone, and it, we turn it on, and it's Purdue and Fairleigh Dickerson. We're like, who is this? Who is this? Uh, but there's been some great battles, and battles are what I'm going to talk to you about today. So uh, looking at battles that we face in life, just like basketball, uh, there's some real battles that we struggle with and have to face. Uh, the Bible talks about it right here. John 10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we come to you right now and we thank you for your presence in here. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirit to what you want us to learn today. Lord, we thank you for your presence and all that you're doing in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was in college, I met a guy, and he told me his name, uh, so I was probably 20, 21, and he was close to 60 years old, and he told me he is a world champion hog wrestler. And in my head, I was like, I know Hulk Hogan, but I don't know what a world champion hog wrestler is. And so I'm asking him, I'm super intrigued, I love hunting, I love outdoors, um, I love violent things and football kind of stuff, and all that boy stuff that we do. Um, so I was super intrigued. And so the way it works is think of like a bull ring, like you know when you've seen a rodeo uh, and there's a big ring or they call it a pin, but it's about the size of this room and it's, it's walled off. And his, what he set a world record and the way it works is he would be on one side, he has to have his hand on this fence and they will have the hog on this side of the pin and they will let both of them go. And he has got the world record for in 19 seconds, he ran across a room this big, flipped the hog, wrestled the hog, and tied it up to where the hog can't go, just like you see a bull, bull rider do. Now, let me, let me back up a little bit. These hogs are not Charlotte's Web, okay? <laughs> this is not your local farm piglet. These are black Russian boar hogs, okay? They're fast, they're mean. When I think about them, I faced some pretty crazy linebackers in my day. They're faster, they're stronger, they're quicker, they're usually covered in mud, and they have two tusks that come out of their mouth that would love to shred you to pieces, okay? We're not talking about your little farm pig. These are wild hogs. And so I, we go down there, and I convinced my roommate Sheldon to go with me. He was just like me. He loved all that stuff. And so we go down there, and we're thinking on the way down there, if this guy can do this, you know, we can probably do this. We're, we're in our prime, baby. Yeah. So we get down there, and he takes us and shows us his land. He's got his own breed of dog. It's called Outlaw Cur. And he's showing us all these dogs, and he's showing us the property, and we're loving it. Well, then he switches somehow the conversation to, hey, I need help with this thing in the pen over here. So we're working on this little water trough thing in the pen, trying to get it put back together. And all of a sudden I hear, and I realize he has gotten out of the pen and he has closed the gate and locked it. 
And me and Sheldon are in the pen, and he's just laughing. You know how those good old boys do. They will just set you up to fail and laugh. Um, and he's sitting on the outside. Well, then I realize he walks over to another gate, and he releases that gate. And when he does, this hog comes barreling out of that gate into that side of the pen. Now, Sheldon and I have moved over to this side of the pen, and we are begging Randy, let us out, let us out. So we knew there was going to be hog wrestling in the journey, but we didn't know it was going to be like this. We were not prepared. So we get it, the hogs in there, and we're begging Randy, please, Randy, please, Randy. He's like, I'm not letting you out until you get that hog on the ground. Now, he didn't offer uh, how to get the hog on the ground. He just said, to get out of this gate, you've got to get that hog on the ground. So I felt like we were pretty prepared. You know, Sheldon, my roommate, he dated some pretty rough girls that were rougher than this hog. <laughs> A, a few of them. There might be a few in here. I don't know. <laughs> but I felt like we were prepared. I mean, uh, but we weren't. And so that hog is just kind of pacing back and forth on that pen side over there. And Sheldon and I are realizing we are not, we are not ready for this. All of a sudden, that hog realizes we are there. And when it does, it makes a full beeline after us. And it comes right, now Sheldon and I are standing here, the gate's here, and all we knew how to do, our, our greatest intuition was jump and grab onto something. And there was trees in this little pen about this big around. And I jumped, and if you've ever tried to hold onto a tree like that, you jump and there's no limbs and you're slowly sliding down. And I was left up to my vertical leap to get me up and that wasn't much. And so I was not very far off the ground. There I am, me and Sheldon, hanging in these two little, I wouldn't even call them trees, they were fresh plants, it looked like, <laughs> hanging right there, and we're screaming, let us out, let us out. And Randy's like, you gotta get the hog, you gotta get the hog. So we're screaming, we're sliding. All of a sudden, Randy says, one of you grab the hair, because a Russian boar hog has a mohawk that goes down, top of his head down the back, and one of you take the legs. And so the only thing that's, about a hog that its only weakness really is that they're top heavy. If you can get them to come off the top, you can, you can get them pretty good. Now that doesn't mean they're going to lay there and let you do it, but uh, Sheldon and I realized this guy was not letting us out until we go. So we both look at each other. He says, I got the legs, of course. I said, well, I got the head. Uh, so we dropped the hog. Let it be known that while we're hanging in this tree, this hog is ramming the tree, okay? <laughs> It's not like he's just sitting there waiting for a welcome. He is ramming the tree. He wants to kill both of us. So he backs up to ram it again. Sheldon and I drop. I, he, he charges me. I grab the hair, and it's, we're doing now a spinning match. Sheldon comes in, slips, and clips the legs of the hog just perfectly, and we get it on its side. When we do, Randy runs in and ties the hog up and gets it all done. Yes. Yeah, we did it. We came out alive. Where's the video? There is no video <laughs> on purpose. Uh, there is a picture, but I don't want to show you because I'm in a tree. No. Meg's like, let's find that picture. I'm like, no, 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 we don't need to find that picture. Uh, but in that, I realized I was in a battle that I wasn't prepared for. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, when I started this journey as a Christian, 
uh, I really thought heaven and hell was just kind of an end destination, if that makes sense. You know, you got Satan who wants you to come be with him, and then you got God who wants you to come be with him, and life is kind of just going through the motions until you decide where that's going to be. Um, but when I took this journey and realized that that's not true, um, I realized you know, so much of what we teach is that God has a plan for you. And, he, and you're, when you become a Christian, you start learning what that plan is and how does that look. Um, but then quickly I realized that God, Satan has a plan for you as well. And that's the battle that we face every day. And sometimes that sounds weird or sounds like it uh, doesn't make sense. But I'm going to try to do my best today to kind of unmystify spiritual warfare for you and help you understand kind of how to get through it. So if you think about basketball or any game, really, you run plays to, to win. You run plays, and so you're trying to win the game, but in the winning, there's plays that are being done, strategic plays that you're trying to expose a weakness or trying to go after something. Um, and the enemy does the same thing for us. He has plays for us that work, and he has plays for us, and it's a, a strategic move that he does with us. Uh, for instance, one of the things he does, and these are all true for me, the same way he comes after me, uh, is the first thing he wants me to do is doubt God. If he can get me to doubt God, then all God's power is irrelevant to me. If all he has to do is start slowly trickling in that doubt to where now I'm not connected to the source of life, I'm not connected to the creator of all, I'm not his masterpiece. If he can slowly start eroding that, he's got me where he wants me. And then he's going to move me down to fear. If I live a life of fear, then I can't go after the things God's called me to. And if God's not there, then I live a life of fear because I don't have an anchor or a source to protect. I don't have the groundedness. I, the, and then what he does is he ends up taking you down this road of insecurity. You know, if he can get you not to believe in God, then how do you believe in yourself? If you get insecure and think the gifts and the talents and what you've been created and how you've been created and all these things that are unique about you, which the Bible says each and every one of us are unique, the Bible says that you are a masterpiece. So if he can disconnect you from God and then that makes it easier to disconnect you, what do you think his next step is? He gets you away from believers and he gets you to all of a sudden where church is not a big deal. Because what happens in church, just like Doug said, you come into church, and when we came in this morning, a lot of us carried the problems of the week. And those pressures do just that. Pressure is intended to break. Pressure intended to crack. And when we come in here, and we come under our, our, the problems and struggles we've had that week, it's, it's easy to have a terrible outlook on life, or it's easy to get down on yourself. But when you come in here, and you have a worship moment like that, and all of a sudden, everything gets flipped up on its side, the enemy doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want you to be here with people that struggle. He doesn't want you to be with people here that, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one that struggles with anger. I'm not the only one that struggles with impatience. I'm not the only one that struggles with this. But when you sit down on an aisle and you realize, wow, I'm not so crazy. I'm not an idiot. I'm actually, we're involved with a group here that's chasing after God who's redeeming us and building us up. And the person on your aisle says, hey, I think you're awesome. I think you're incredible. I think you're beautiful. That's what we need every week. And the enemy's goal is to just try to move all these plays down the roll so he can get you right where he wants you. Stuck in a tree, all alone, and he's ramming it with his head. <laughs> no, he wants you to fail. Um, I, had a, I played college football, and every week we had this th program that went out. So when you played, they would, as when you came in and sat down in the stands, they would give you a program. And in the program, there was... 
it had everybody in it, everybody who was playing, but there was usually a section that had three players to watch. And I always wanted to be a player to watch because really when you think through that whole football field and there's a hundred people on that field playing, the program says, uh, I realize there's a hundred people out here, but there's three you really need to watch. And that's a pretty cool perspective. But on the other side, when you're preparing that week for the game, you have all these schemes. And anybody who's ever been in sports has watched film. And you know you're playing a team, but most of the time you're playing a player. Or you're playing somebody who's really good or a group of players. And we would do that. We would, we would focus on a few players that we would watch every week. And by that weekend, we had a full game plan. We had been watching them. We had been trying to figure out their weaknesses. We had been trying to figure out what they're good at, what their tells are, what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And the enemy's the same way with that. And so I realized by the end of the week, we would come down and, you know, you get out on the field and you, you look for those players because you've seen them on video all week, but then you look for those players. And when they stepped onto the field, they looked totally different. They, they had that up that aura about them or whatever, that you just realized there was something different. You had built them up big in your head, and they usually they walked different, they ran different, they looked different. And I thought, I want to be, I, I be a player to watch. And that was a goal I had every week in that. And uh, I realized when I think back through the, the hog pen story, I realized I was not a player to watch in that, in that pen. <laughs> I realized I was not. I, that, I was in the best physical shape of my life, but I still wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for what I was about to do. But now, Randy, Randy the Hogman, he was a player to watch. And I would get to quickly learn why he was the world champion. Um, the rest of that day, we ended up, he ended up rolling a ton of hogs in there, and, and we would have to do this. And he would just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. We'd wrestle those hogs. And by the end of the day, I was bruised and beaten and broken and uh, was so excited because the next day I was going to learn who Randy was. We were going hunting and the way you hunt for these hogs is it's a little different. You, there's no pen, uh, which I was excited about. It means there's a getaway. Uh, but you ride through the woods in four-wheelers and on the back of Randy's four-wheeler there was these dogs that sat back there and these were his dogs and they're called bay dogs is what, and that's what they do. They go through the woods and we were riding in the back of the, they jumped out of the back of the box, they smelled a hog, and they took off running through the woods. Now, you, their whole job is to bay that hog. They're going to find that hog, and then they're going to bark around the hog. They're going to circle it, circle it, and bark and bark and bark and bark and bark. And, and that hog is going to try to stay still, and then that's when you come in and catch the hog. So we're rolling through. And I'm so excited about this. I love this kind of thing. I'm so, really excited. These dogs take off. My adrenaline's pumping. We jump off the four-wheelers because a hog's going to run to the thickest part of the woods. He's not going to stay out in the open. He's going to use the elements to get for his favor. And usually that's briars and thorn bushes and all that. But he runs through, and we're running through. We're chasing the dogs. We can hear them ahead of us. And we come up on this ridge that then goes down into the river, the Savannah River right there. And the Savannah River is rolling. The current is rolling through there. And we get up, and I realize the, hog, the dogs had run the hog into the river. And so out in the middle of the river, there's a hog swimming in circles and a dog swimming behind it, chasing it, still barking. And they're both trying to keep themselves alive. And 
they're spinning in circles. And so I'm like, this is crazy, right? Randy's like, go get them. And I'm like, go, you go get them. I'm not going to get them. Well, he says, go get them. And we're like, what, what do we do? We, all of our training was on the ground in a pen. There was no, nothing in the water. He says, go get, you go get the hog, and Sheldon, you go get the dog. I'm like, okay. So we jump in the water. We're swimming out there. Um, Sheldon grabs the dog by the collar. He starts swimming in. I'm trying to dodge the nose. Luckily, they're not as fast in the water. And I reach down and grab the back leg of the hog, and I start swimming this way. The hog's swimming that way. I'm swimming this way. I was a little better swimmer than he was. But I get over, and when I realize that my feet hit the ground, I realize the hog's feet hit the ground as well. And so now we were not back on equal playing ground again. I stood up, and when I stood up, that hog spun and turned and hit me right between the legs. And when he did, it's like a bull. They'll, they'll lift and they'll throw. And he did just that, threw me up. I flipped me like a pancake. I'm not, I'm not joking. They're that strong. He flipped me like a pancake. I landed on my back, and when I was looking up, he run up a hit the ridge that I had just come off of, and he's standing there, and he, hogs will clap their mouth like this. They'll go, and I can hear, see him breathing. I can see him snorting, and I'm on my back, and I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, what's about to happen? Well, I didn't tell this last service, but uh, he ends up coming down after me, Shoots, I jump around the tree, he runs back up, and when he does, he hits the four-wheeler that I was on full speed and rams it and spins it up on its side. That's how strong they are. Go try to lift a four-wheeler. He hit the four-wheeler, turned it up on its side, spins back around, and he's looking at me again. And I'm like, dude, seriously, the whole forest is back there. Just go that way. But he's not. He's just got his mouth, and he's just like, I'm going to eat your lunch. Well, about that time, I realize he's coming, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm exhausted. He comes barreling back down that hill right at me, and at that moment, Randy goes, whoof, comes out of nowhere, hits the hog, and when he hits the hog, remember, they're top-heavy. He hits the top of the hog, and he had this thing where he could hit the hog and grab the foot at the same time, and they spun like this, and when he was... It, it happened in a millisecond, it felt like. When he did, he came up, and that rope was tied, and he looked at me and just laughed. <laughs> so we had to go wait. I had to go change my underwear. Uh -huh. <laughs> you think I'm joking? <laughs> no, but he... He just laughed, and it was so easy for him. He saved my life that day. But I realized that that day, Randy was what? Player to watch. And uh, I realized the battle I was in, I wasn't prepared for. And Randy was. Randy had been doing it. Even though I, at the time I was probably bigger and stronger and faster, Randy had been doing this. He made me look like an idiot. You know, it was, it was like a baby. He, just, he was just that good at it. He had been doing it that long. The difference is... He was prepared for the battle, and I wasn't. That makes sense. So my question to you today when we start talking about this, ask yourself, are you a player to watch when it comes to spiritual warfare? Are you a player to watch? And it's okay if you're not, because hopefully I'm going to give you a couple tips here to, to do it. But are you a player to watch? Does, when the enemy, when 
I stepped in the pen, I'm sure that hog wasn't very scared of me. But when Randy steps into the pen, he's a player to watch. It's different. When you know when somebody steps into the room who's good, who's strong, who, who you know can take you, it's a different level. And so my question is, when you look at yourself, are you a player to watch? Here's what I want to, I want to help you with. I've got three quick things here of, of how to be a player to watch. First one is this. Number one, understand there's a battle. Remember what I said. I thought, I thought when I became a Christian, I thought it was just a heaven or hell thing. I had no idea that every day there was going to be somebody coming after me. And when you read that first verse, that John 10.10, and he says he's out to steal, kill, and destroy, that kind of thing doesn't really make sense when you hear it sometimes because you're like, what is he? He's going to come kill me and destroy me? The way that often works is he's after you. And so the way he comes after you is usually in your mind. He comes after your thoughts. He comes after your patterns. The same way a defense would counter you. He's going to watch what you're good at. He's going to watch what you're weak at. He's going to watch those things. And a lot of times, if we're not good here, he'll expose that really quick. And so we've got to get, get good here. The biggest thing is understanding the battle. If you and I are going to fight and you don't know we're in a fight, I have a much better chance. Does that make sense? I have a much better chance. Ephesians 6 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What you are fighting is not in the physical. It doesn't matter how tough you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It's what you got in your spirit. It's, it's, it's who you are spiritually. It's do you believe in God? Do you have the connection to God? Do you believe that you're in the battle? The next thing is this. Well, before I go on there, that I have a note here that he comes after your heart. How many of you know that every decision you make is a decision where the enemy works in? Every decision. So he comes after your thoughts. He comes after your decisions. He comes after all those things. That's when it says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not going to try to kill you that day. I mean, he would if he could, but he doesn't have the power to do that. So he's going to get you to kill yourself by believing things that are not true, by disconnecting yourself. So on a daily basis, think through, how many decisions do I make without God? How many decisions do I let God influence? And how many decisions do I let Satan influence? How many times do I call on him and do I give him the chance to speak into my life? The second thing is this. Understand your authority. Luke 10, 19 says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. How many of you struggle with anger? How many of you struggle with something? I'm, I'm going to use anger for this illustration, but you fill in the blank. We've all got those. You, you look at Eddie. He talked about road rage. Eddie struggled with anger when he first started this journey. A lot of us men do, but he, he worked on it. He's, he's, he's getting better. He's getting better until college basketball, of course. But, <laughs> but the truth is, that's how the enemy gets in and comes after us. And anger or whatever your spot is doesn't have to be your life. Just because your dad was angry doesn't mean you have to be. Just because you've struggled with anger doesn't mean you have to keep struggling with anger. When you learn the authority that you have being a child of God, he wants you to overcome those things you don't like about yourself. He doesn't want you to struggle with anger the rest of your life. He wants you to be strong. 
He wants you to overcome that. Because when you overcome that, He draws you closer. And then you, somebody else, watches you overcome anger, and they get hope for their anger. Does that make sense? What you struggle with, you don't have to for the rest of your life. What your family or life or struggles or things that have happened to you, you don't have to struggle with for the rest of your life. That's not God's will for your life. So it goes down from the little things to the big things. Uh, when you talk about your authority, if I was to let you sit in my front yard and I unrolled a situation and, you know, you guys have a front seat in my front yard and let's say I'm going to let an intruder come into my house. You know my daughters are in one room and you know I'm in the one room. And you got to watch from the front yard and you saw that intruder come into my house and start walking towards my daughters. Well, what would you holler to those girls if you knew I was in that back room? Call for your daddy. Call for your daddy. Call for your daddy. Why? Because if you're going to get my kids, you got to go through me. If, you, if you're in a place of, of struggle or strife or things that you're trying to get through, call on your daddy. I think we try to get through so much of this spiritual warfare battle by ourselves. And we don't bring him into it, whether that feels weak or you just don't know how to navigate that. But essentially, the Bible just says, call on him. Look at 2 Chronicles 20, 15. It says this. And he's talking to a king at this time. He says, listen, king, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. This huge army you're facing. Don't be afraid for the battle is not yours, but God's. It's the same thing with the little things we struggle with to the big things we struggle with. Will you call on daddy when it's time? Will you call on the God who created everything when it's time? So learning how to understand that there's a battle, learning your authority in the battle, and then the last thing is this, keep your sword sharp. When I think of this one, I think of chefs. You, you see all the time these great chefs. The first thing they do when they get ready is they sharpen their knife because their knife is everything to a chef. It's how they cut, it's how they prepare. And every night they sharpen their knife. They don't let that knife get dull. And the knife that the Bible talks about, it's the sword of the Spirit when you start studying the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit is the, is the Bible. It's this. And this this. Third one here is keep your sword sharp. Listen to this. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. I've just told you the scheme of the battle that we're in. You've got one who wants to kill and destroy you, and you've got one who wants you to have abundant life. Well, if this one over here uses nothing but lies, and the Bible says he's the father of lies, how do you battle the father of lies? You battle him with the truth. You battle him with the truth. You don't battle him with your strength. You don't battle him with your, your will. You battle him with the truth. You open this book up and you read what God says about you and you read the authority that you have and you read how he can handle these situations and you read that this burden is not yours, it's his. The struggle that you have, this anger or whatever it is, it's not yours. You pray every morning, you read about that and, God, and you say, God, I give it to you. I trust you with it. It's not my battle, it's your battle. You keep that sword sharp. You go into this word and learn how, how, how to do that. When I was in high school, I, uh, 
Got one more story for you, and then we'll wrap up. When I was in high school, I played basketball. Now, I wasn't the greatest at basketball, but I loved it. Um, and I had a friend, his name was Brandon, and he was 6'10". He was a McDonald's All-American, um, and he was really good to have on your team. Uh, but he was huge, and he was really good, and we had this play in basketball. It wasn't really a play, but it was kind of. Uh, but he would get in the paint, and so if you know anything about basketball, there's this whole area around the goal is called in the paint. And Brandon was 6'10". Now, in high school, 6'10 is a, well, anywhere, 6'10 is huge. Um, but he would get in there, and I, my whole goal, really, was to get him the ball. And he would, when he would get in this paint and there was a smaller guy, he would yell, mouse in the house. <laughs> and I knew that meant I can take this guy. He's weak. He doesn't have it. I can get this. Just give me the ball because there's a mouse in the house. And let me just tell you, it worked just about every time. He was 6'10", he averaged close to 30 points, uh, and he could dominate the basketball court. So, I also played football, and I was a quarterback of the football team, and so I thought if that mouse in the house play works in the court, maybe it'll work on the field, right? Well, I was the only one that wanted Brandon to play football because Brandon actually had a future in basketball, and uh, nobody wanted him to get hurt, especially his mom and his basketball coach, and they killed me for doing this. Uh, but I convinced Brandon, come out, I can talk to the football coach, he'll let you come in, it, the same mouse in the house play, call, we'll do it, we'll set it up, we'll get down by the end zone, you come in, I'll throw it up, you get it, we'll celebrate together. Well, that was appealing to Brandon because at basketball games, there's about 400 people watching, and at football games, we had about 10,000 people watching, so it was a much bigger arena, and Brandon was like, I'm kind of game for that, that sounds easy, that's what I do every day. Well, here we are come Friday night. Brandon didn't even have to come to practice, but Brandon and I had done some practicing, but he didn't really have to come to practice. We get down on Friday night. We're in the red zone, which means we're close to the end zone. I go over, talk to the coach. We decide it's time to put Brandon in. Now, the football coach was really happy he was in there, but not the basketball coach. Brandon comes out onto the field. And when Brandon comes out onto the field, 6'10", anywhere, it's just an imposing force. And you can see everybody's eyes are on Brandon, especially mine. So, Brandon, we get up, we get ready, we get lined up, and the little cornerback is about this big. Cornerback's the one that's going to be guarding him. And the whole play is this. It's called a fade. He's going to fade to the corner, he's just going to run to the corner, and I'm going to throw it to the corner at the highest point, and he's got to go up and get it. Pretty easy, right? We line up. I can hear all the cheers. I can already see it in my head. I'm like, this is too easy. <laughs> yes. Line up. I'm going to do a one-step drop. Here we go. I line up. I look down. I still remember looking down, and Brandon is towering over this player. On the other side of Brandon is the basketball coach who's looking at me like he's going to kill me <laughs> because his prized possession is out on the football field. I say hike. I take one-step drop. I throw the ball to the corner, and it's going slow motion. I mean, it's going in the right spot. It's spiraling, and guess what's happening? Brandon jumps, and he's about two feet higher than the little cornerback. Everybody's eyes in the whole, uh-oh, series got me. Everybody's eyes in the whole stadium are on Brandon. Nobody was looking at the safety. And if you know anything about safeties, they're mean. That safety came full speed and cut through him like a hot knife through butter. 
When he was up like this, to everybody else, it was a glorious sight. To that safety, all it was was just an open rib cage with a big old target. And he cut through that 6'10 fella. And when you cut through a 6'10 fella, it looked like a garage sale when everything was done. There was helmets and pads and balls and tears everywhere. It was all down on the ground. Everybody got up and helped him off the thing. And there we go. And I'm like, this dude is going to be dead. He ends up getting up. He walked off the field and he never played again. <laughs> he never played again. Do you know why? He was worried about that safety. Everybody's eyes were on the big intimidating thing. But there was one person in the stadium that wasn't intimidated. My question to you as we wrap up here is, when you wake, who gets worried? Ask yourself that. When you wake, who gets worried? The same way that safety wasn't worried about Brandon is the same way that I want to be, not worried about the enemy. I want, when I wake up, the enemy to be scared. I want him to have to figure out a plan for me. I want him to know he can't just come after me. He can't come after my wife. He can't come after my church. He can't come after my kids. He's going to have to have a plan because I'm ready. Because I know there's a battle. I know my authority. And I keep my sword sharp. When, I, when you come and you have a meeting with a pastor here and you're struggling with something, I'm going to tell you they're going to do those three things. They're going to remind you the battle you're in because we usually end up fighting in the physical. They're going to remind you the battle. They're going to remind you who you are. They're going to remind you of your authority. And then they're going to tell you to keep your sword sharp. That's how you demystify spiritual warfare. You just do those three things. You just do those three things. Um, I remember when I first started this, Pastor Mike, uh, would teach me this, and he would, he would teach me, you really got to get it right here before you get it right out here. If you can get your head right and your heart right, you can, you can have an impact in this life. And he would, he would teach me to put my hand in my head, my head in my hands and pray for myself and pray things off myself and pray my thoughts right. And then he would teach me, I remember standing in the bathroom, I don't even know if you remember this, uh, I would stand in the bathroom and he came behind me and he taught me to speak things out of my mouth at myself in the mirror. And what he was doing was, I didn't believe this stuff about me, but I still had to speak it. If I was ever going to believe it, I had to speak it. He would teach me what the Bible said and I would speak it. He would teach me what the Bible said and I would pray it. He would teach me what the Bible said and I would do it. Because the truth is, I didn't believe it at the time, and it was terribly uncomfortable. But I promise you this, I do it every day. I still do it. I still have those thoughts that I have to battle. I still have those thoughts that I have to fight. I still have that heart that sometimes isn't right. And I know my family and myself needs to be right. And he would train me to go do that. But I had to know what this said about me. I had to know the truth because I was reminded every day of the lies. And that's what I want for you here today. I want you to realize the battle, but realize who's on your side. Stand up and let me pray for you. Lord, we come to you right now. 
And I pray for everybody in here. I pray they realize who you are. I pray they realize the schemes of the opponent. That he's after their thoughts. He's after their hearts. He's after their doubt. I pray you unveil that whole plan to them. But Lord, I pray that they leave here today with realizing they're on the winning team. That you've got them. All they got to do is call on daddy. Lord, I pray that you give them the power, that you give them the authority. I pray that you give them the boldness to push through the uncomfortable stuff. Lord, I pray they see those problems and they go after them. I pray they don't be settled with who they are, but yet they go after with who you called them to be. Lord, I pray for that kind of boldness today. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, there is Easter invite cards on the way out. We love you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.